Hey, Mike, let me borrow your spares, huh? Your extra pair? No, Stan. No? What do you mean, no? Just what I said, no. No means no. Some fucking friend. You're some fucking friend, you know that? You gotta learn, Stanley. Every time you come up here, you got your goddamn head up your ass. Maybe he likes the view from up there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Every time he comes up, he's got no knife, he's got no jacket, he's got no pants, he's got no boots. Always got that stupid gun he carries around, like John Wayne. That ain't gonna help you. Oh, what the hell, Mike? Give him the boots. No way. I ain't giving him no boots. No more. No more. That's it. You're a fucking bastard. You know that? Huh? Stanley, see this? This is this. This ain't something else. This is this. From now on, you're on your own. Hello again and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And uh, before we get into today's episode, we will give you some recommendations for the week. Ian, do you want to start, or would you like me to go first? No, you. you I went first last week, so I feel it's only... Only right that you go first this week. Okay. Uh, so at the end of this episode, we're going to do some Oscar tie-in uh, uh, predictions and, and, our, and how, we, how we look at the, the nominees. I am going to talk about uh, – it technically is a nominee, and it is easily my favorite film of 2018. And it is up for Best Documentary Feature, and that movie is called Minding the Gap. I don't know if you've seen this. I haven't seen it. I've, I've heard of it. So it's on Hulu. And so if you have a subscription, you can just stream it for free. Or not free, for your whatever you pay. But um, so my description of this movie probably won't do it justice. But it is about um, three, skateboarders, three skateboarders in Rockford, Illinois, who have grown up. And being able to skateboard has been a way of life in a way of getting out some of their frustrations and anxiety that they deal with in their own lives. And it's really interesting because, you know, one of the skateboarders is white, one of the skateboarders is black, and one of them is is of Asian descent, and I don't know exactly what country it is, so my apologies for that. But it essentially follows them through their daily lives and kind of how they came to skateboarding and who they are as people, and one of them is becoming a dad, and he's not married and there's some issues with the mom and then the uh the young black man you know he his dad died and so he's he's dealing with a just being black now and and what it is to have white friends and to deal with police but also what it is to be a black skateboarder which is different and then what kind of what kind of ties in everything is the filmmaker who's the, uh, his name's Bing Lao or Bing Lu he he watches his mom get abused when he was a kid, and so he actually interviews her in the movie. But what you find out is what unfortunately connects all these kids is kind of seeing this abuse. And it's a movie about skateboarding, but it's a movie about just growing up now. And, you know, a couple – four or five years ago, I took a hard look at movies. And when I make lists, I really just want to pick movies to make my top ten that move me, you know, whether it's to tears or to laughter or to think – 
and this one moved me uh, in all of those ways. It's the only movie that hands down made me cry this year, and I had a very strong visceral reaction to the movie. I think it's very well done, and it's quick, and I I couldn't I I mean clear it's my favorite movie of of the year, but it is really really good, and if you have Hulu you have to watch it. There's no reason for you to not watch this movie. It is, it is fascinating. That's all I'm wow, going to say. That's, that's some, that's some strong recommendation right there, man. It It's, yeah. I mean, I look for, you want movies to, to have an effect on you. And this one absolutely did. So that's great. I don't want to say much more because there, it's not like a, there's no twists, but it's just, it's so well done. It's so laid out and, even if you don't like skateboarding, there's still a lot of really cool visual shots of them skateboarding, and it was just it's about just growing up, growing up, and and trying to find your 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 spot in the world, basically. Do you think because of the the subject matter, because it's about skateboarding, maybe it was a little bit overshadowed by Jonah Hill's directorial debut, the mid '90s, which is sounds like it has some similar themes to it. I don't. I don't think so. I mean, it's a do- it's a documentary, so I don't imagine it got a whole lot of play anyway. But yeah. it's uh, it's just it's just it's just good. I can't. It's hard to put into words why I like this movie so much. It just hit all the right it hit all the right components for me. See, I'm well. That's I'm gonna bump that further up my list. That sounds fantastic. I haven't seen a good documentary that really moved me since uh, Marwin Call or uh, Man on Wire. I, mean, I saw those both back to back, and those were two of the best documentaries I think I've ever seen. I don't know if you've seen either of those. I've seen Man on Wire. Yeah, it was and good. You, you you've probably heard of Marwin Call. Obviously, Robert Zemeckis very recently adapted that, as he did Man on Wire, with the the Steve Carell movie, The Welcome to Marwin. That is that's a tough watch. Not not the Zemeckis film. I haven't seen that, but the Marwin Call, the documentary is is fantastic. Have you seen The Act of Killing? I I have not. I have actively not watch that film because I, I know or I've been told rather how devastating it is so I've that's something I need to prepare myself for yeah, it's it's good it's really well made too Ian sorry Ian what do you have this week uh you know I've I've talked on this show before about Nicolas Cage and I saw a Nick Cage film which defies all logic and beats all the rest of them hands down you're I can see you're excited it's Mandy. Yeah. All oh, right. All my, right. Mandy. Let's talk is, about it. Oh my God. It's so good. I've been waiting to talk to you about this. So we, we got together with a group of friends and we all got a little bit loaded. Uh, we were drinking absinthe of all things. <laughs> oh yeah. It was one of those nights. One of those nights. Good sir. All and right. We popped on Mandy and it was like some forgotten gem. I feel like Mandy could have been, obviously if you didn't know when it was made and you didn't know any of the people in it, it's something that somebody found at the bottom of some trunk, a VHS, a beat-to-shit VHS. I, I love it. I love everything about this film. The fact that it's set in the 80s, the fact it's got that 80s feel. It's a psychedelic... It's the psychedelic acid trip I didn't know I needed. <laughs> it's so much goddamn fun and Nicolas Cage I mean we all love it when he goes full cage right he does the scene in the bathroom yes yes my god that is some master class in acting anybody that wants to talk about just talk shit about the bad decisions that Nicolas Cage has made throughout his career and he has made many yeah 
he's is about one in five probably these days i would say you get a good performance but when he's on he is on like no other well it's all about everything he does in mandy is is spectacular it's about finding the right project because because he is he does fit a certain like he his acting style is very unique and he when you when you say go full cage it's what you're gonna get and it's all it, it all depends on the role and it, it depends on what you're trying to get from him it, and, you, and you think about how he won an oscar for leaving las vegas it makes sense that role worked for nick cage no oh, especially where he was at in his life at that point i mean i've seen him talk about le- leaving las vegas and the amount of energy and talent and just sheer willpower went into making that character come to life. I mean, he 100% deserves that Oscar. But yeah, Mandy is just, if I'll, I guess I'll, Mandy is set in 83, I'm assuming somewhere up here in the Pacific Northwest is kind of the vibe that I get. He works for a logging company and he's either married to or with this, this lady, Mandy, uh, who is this brilliant painter brilliant artist who is very much into fantasy which the film kind of plays into that a little bit and she gets spotted by this crazy christian cult and and they kidnap her and the the leader of the cult tries to have his way with her and of course it backfires on him so they kill her in front of him and that just sparks nicholas cage on this beautiful descent into madness rage and revenge his scene with bill duke where he's talking about the crazy psycho bikers. It's so good, man. The, and it's got a fucking chainsaw duel in it. Oh, it's it's epic. It's amazing. And that one chainsaw I almost, is like eight I, feet. I, I, was, I know. I was so excited I almost had to excuse myself from the room. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so much goddamn fun. Like, I cannot... I, I can't wait to see it again. No, I won't I won't lie. It does there are moments where it, it meanders a little too long for my it's, personal it's, taste. It's a little long. It's it's got itself a fair long shot in it or two. But it oh man. It yeah. It's visually stunning. It it's it's in a world of its own and yeah, Nick Cage is great in it. It's it's the most unique film I've seen in quite some time. Is the best thing that I can say about it. Yeah, that's true. It is very much a unique film, totally, and not in like a oh that was that was unique. No, unique like this is interesting as all hell. And of course, it's got the leader of the cult. Uh, one of the guys we were watching it with pointed out to me, "Hey, that's that's Thomas Wayne. That's Bruce Wayne's dad from the uh, the Nolan Batman's," which. Honestly, kind of ruined it for me a little bit because of the whole time I'm sitting there, like thinking of him, going, "Why do we fall, Bruce?" I'm like, "Oh no, this is this is not that guy." To pick ourselves back up. Exactly. But yeah, no, I hands Mandy. I give like my highest recommendation. I cannot, I cannot recommend this film more. Everybody must see Mandy. In fact, Mandy should go in the next revision of the book. I'm putting it out there right now. Can we take out Haxon? Uh, no. Ah, fine. We could take out Breakfast Club. No. How about Princess Bread? You want to meet nope. me in the middle? Nope. <laughs> All right, moving on. So, uh, so the movie we're going to talk about today, uh, we're dropping this episode a couple of days before the next Academy Awards. And last week we did Titanic, which is the best picture winning film. And so we decided to stick with another Oscar winning film, multiple Oscar winning film. And we are talking about... The Deer Hunter, 1978, directed by uh, 
Michael. Yeah. Yeah. You go, you, you go, you go, you talk, you say it's, things. It's, direct, it's directed by Michael Camino, who, uh, well, obviously this is probably his biggest hit, because uh, then he turned around and he made Heaven's Gate, which kind of, uh, you know, I talk about the big blockbusters kind of ruining that beautiful period of creativity in the 70s, but it, what Michael Camino did on Heaven's Gate nearly bankrupted United Artists, and so really, I feel like that, didn't help things at the time and really helped bring the studios back into power and really the the studios decided hey maybe this this letting our creative artists go off so far so far off the leash rather maybe that's not such a good thing now have but, you, i mean have you seen heaven's gate i've not okay cuz i know i know it's a criterion no i th- and i think the criterion has multiple cuts on there see that's that's my thing is like do i start with the studio's cut or do i start with his cut and work my way back i i want to see heaven's gate it's very high up on my list it's just finding i don't know the right frame of mind because i think camino's cut is damn near four hours oh i think it's a little bit longer is it just a little bit but yeah it's it's about finding the time and i know we're going to get into to talking about length in this film especially but (laughs) oh yeah we are but Deer Hunter was, uh, before I get into the cast, I want to talk a little bit about the producer, Michael Dealey, who is something of a, a super producer. He is uh, very famous for having produced this, won the Academy Award for it, and also producing Blade Runner and the original Italian job with Michael Caine. Uh, he talks about how, you know, as a producer, you should only expect one good movie every 10 years. And so I, he, he definitely hit it with that. I mean, he had Italian Job in 69, this in 78, and then Blade Runner in 82. And he wrote a very, very good uh, autobiography about his, uh, his time in Hollywood and his time as a producer. Uh, I go back and forth on how I feel about him because he's also the man responsible for chopping up the original Wicker Man with Christopher Lee. And Christopher Lee tells a, a very funny story about his disdain for Dealey and not understanding the film and how he wouldn't even stand when his wife came into the room. And so therefore he would always have a black mark as far as he's concerned. Uh, but he is, he is a producer that is, is, is not to be trifled with his filmography kind of speaks for itself. Even with just those three films, uh, he was producing uh, convoy with Chris Christopherson concurrently. And he was overseeing the production of that, over at United Artists, which he feels was a, a very big mistake because Deer Hunter is much more of that independent style of filmmaking that United Artists were making at the time. He feels like he should have reversed those and given Convoy to Universal, which is where Deer Hunter ended up at. And of course, speaking of Universal, that gets us back into Sid Scheinberg, who we talked about at length on Brazil. During the Brazil one. Right. And this film kind of has that same feel as Brazil, whereas the film itself is interesting, the making of it is almost just as interesting, if not more so. A lot of the behind-the-scenes quabbles and, and, and uh, you know, what went on as far as the reception towards it. But anyway, this yeah, film... that's true. This film, as far as the cast goes, we've got uh, Robert De Niro as Michael, John Cazale as Stan, and which I'm, I'm going to go into him at length in a little bit here. Yeah. Uh, John Savage as Steven, Christopher Walken as Nick, Meryl Streep as Linda. I've also got George Dunza as John, and uh, Chuck Aspergen or Aspergen, who uh, plays Axel, he actually wasn't 
an actor, actor. yeah, somebody that they found at a steel mill out in Indiana or something like that. So he was just in the right place at the right time because at the time, De Niro was much more of a method actor and he insisted on doing all the steel working himself and things like that, which they had to get a massive insurance bond for. Um, is also insistent on getting Kazali in the film as well. Um, Kazali, unfortunately, was uh, diagnosed with cancer and uh, unfortunately never got to see the finished film. Uh, he was dating uh, Meryl Streep at the time, which is also what got Meryl Streep into the film. Now, the thing about Kazali, uh, all five of the films that he was in, they're all in the book. And? This man, and? They were all nominated for Best Picture. They were indeed. Like, no one else has a track record like this man. I mean, and if, if you haven't seen, I don't know if you have seen it, but I, I, if our listeners haven't seen the I Knew It Was You documentary that HBO produced a few years back, it is absolutely essential viewing. Oh, I haven't. I haven't. It's, it's very good. It's, it's very heartbreaking. They actually got Meryl Streep to talk about it because she was engaged to him at the time of his death. Um, and so they actually, after years and years of silence on her relationship with, with John, she finally opened up and, and talked about him. It's, it's very, uh, it's very, it's some very heartfelt stuff. It definitely choked me up. Well, cause she's been, she's been married to her new husband now for a long time. The only, right. And the only reason I even bring that up is Meryl Streep came to Indiana university while I was there. She did a master class, and she was there basically getting an honorary doctorate, but her, her husband went to IU and Oh, really? Yeah. And so that's, that's essentially why she was there at all. Um, which kind of came up because I was curious why she was why she was coming to IU, but yeah. But that relationship. So yeah, the, this this is why I shouldn't I shouldn't meet famous people because I of course would want to ask her questions about John Gazzali. You know what I mean? And that's that's kind of an insensitive thing to do. I think I'm just I'm fascinated by him, and uh, and those those five incredible films that he made: A Deer Hunter being the last one, and then Dog Day Afternoon, The Conversation, and Godfather One and Two. What an incredible, what an incredible track record, and what a shame that he isn't still with us. Because imagine the bevy of performances that we could have had. I mean, oh, his yeah. performance in in Dog Day Afternoon is one of the most heartbreaking things in uh, in the modern crime genre. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know I know he gets kind of under underappreciated in the Godfather series, but that's kind of that's also the character too. But yeah, he is he is criminally underappreciated in Dog Day. Yeah, yeah. You can't. I mean, his you, whole line about you know where do you want to go, and he says you know we go to any country you want. Well, I want to go to Wyoming. Wyoming's not a country. That just it tears my heart right out. Oh yeah, yeah. He was good. He was good. Um. So uh, Michael Cimino, he doesn't have any other films in the book. Uh, unsurprising, I would say. Um. But this film was a was a big monster big monster award getter when it came out. Um, well, it's also integral for the awards release trend that we are now so familiar with of having a film doing that soft release in November, December, you know, to gather that kind of awards momentum and make sure that it qualifies by being shown in LA and New York for, you know, a set number of weeks yeah. before getting its, its wider rollout. Cause it didn't go wide until the end of February in 79. Yeah. Um, so uh, Academy Awards, it won picture, director, uh, supporting actor for Christopher Walken, editing and sound. Um, De Niro was nominated. So was Meryl Streep. Uh, the screenplay was nominated as well. And uh, cinematography. Um, 
Well, the cinematography, I'm totally fine with it losing because it lost to Days of Heaven, which is still one of the probably five or ten most beautiful films I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also, so something I, I think it's interesting that I, I kind of bring up now because it ties into it a little bit is, um, so De Niro lost to John Voight for Coming Home, which is another which is, Vietnam movie. Well, these two are, are kind of the, the predecessors of, you know, the sort of Vietnam subgenre of war films. Nobody else had really tackled that subject yet. It's in, it's interesting because part of part of what I want to talk about when we get into the movie is was the reception to this movie so high because it was one of the first major motion pictures to talk about Vietnam. But we but but that's like a thesis statement. We can get into that later. Yeah, um, and it's a fair question. I, I definitely think we should address. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, hey, Ian, was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? In 1996, it hey, was. Oh, yes, it was. Uh, that one I did write down. Um, it currently sits at number 53 on the AFI's top 100 on the list prior to it. It was 71, so it, it made some headway in, in the 10 years in between those lists. It currently is 166 on the IMDb 250. Oh, has that? Wow, since I took my notes, it's actually gone up three. I took oh. my notes when it was number 169. I, I think it should uh, not be on the list. Uh, right, we'll get there when we get there. Okay. Um, and uh, Rotten Tomato, it is uh, 94 with a 92 audience. I'm going to assume you think that's high? I I do. <laughs> I do. Well, to, to, back, to, to back my argument about supporting it up, I have uh, Gene Siskel's original review from that's, the Chicago Tribune. I found, is that the same I, one you have? No, I found Ebert's, though, which is great. Oh, did you? Oh, here we, yeah. that's, that's a nice kind of compliment to one another. So uh, Siskel says, is it as good as its advanced word and nine Academy Award nominations suggest? Yes. What distinguishes the Deer Hunter most is its many rich characters and the size of its vision. This is a big film dealing with big issues made on a grand scale. Much of it, including some casting decisions, suggests inspiration by The Godfather. I don't know what you want me to say to that. <laughs> I, well, if you want to, if you want to counterbalance it with what Ebert said. No, Ebert. I mean, Ebert's uh, uh, the Deer Hunter is said to be about many subjects: about male bonding, about mindless patriotism, about the dehumanizing effects of war, about Nixon's silent majority. It is about any of those things that you choose if you choose, but more than anything else, it is a heartbreakingly effective fictional machine that evokes the agony of the Vietnam time. And I don't disagree with that at all. I think all those things are about, are what the movie's about and they they all come up in the movie. Well, I think let's get the Vietnam thing out of the way. I think Vietnam is kind of arbitrary. This to me could be set during any war. This could be set during the American Civil War. It could be set during the British Civil War. It could be set during World War One, Two. It could be set now. That's true. Uh, yeah. During the Second Gulf War, its its story is as long as there has been war, this kind of story can and should exist because, as Ebert says, it deals with that mindless patriotism. It deals with that dehumanization and what does it mean to go off and fight for your country and fight for what you believe is a noble cause and what you feel is your rights as a citizen as said country and what does that do to you so i i think the vietnam thing is and the the way that people get caught up in in the details of it being set in vietnam i think that's all arbitrary 
Um, I'll, so I'll share with you. I have a I have a friend and a, a former coworker who I have a very very hard time discussing films with because he is. I mean, and I'm not picking on the fact that he has Asperger's. That's neither here nor there. I certainly don't feel that it helps. He is a very it, it makes him both to a fault and to a credit a very detailed person. And so the thing that we go back and forth on a lot is the little details that pull him out of a movie. Now, the the biggest example that I'll give you and the one that we went back and forth on for the longest was the Edward Norton version of The Incredible Hulk. Okay. Now, first and foremostly, it's a comic book movie. Yeah. Right? So if you're not buying into this fantasy world at all, it's it's not your film. So he he's okay with the fact that gamma radiation can turn you into a giant re- green rage monster and you can whip tanks at things in this world. What pulled him out of the movie more so than that, you know, just trifling detail. The thing that pulled him out the most was the fact that they say they're using Blackhawk helicopters and those aren't really Blackhawks because Blackhawks don't have those kind of forward mounted machine guns or whatever the hell it was that he got so pissed off about. And I started thinking about that while I was reading about how people got so wrapped up in the details of this film, especially when it comes to the Russian roulette, because as far as anyone knows, there are no documented cases of that taking place in Vietnam, even though Camino claimed that he had articles proving that it did, even though he wouldn't specify, you know, from which news agencies he's got said stories, but at the end of the day, the Russian roulette, it's a fantastic allegory for dehumanization. And I know a lot of people took issue with the way that the Vietnamese characters or the Viet Cong weren't really shown as humans as they were just shown as these, you know, dehumanized machines working to just destroy what was at the heart of these patriotic young men. Uh, I, that's to me is such a trifling detail when you have a story that is this powerful and is talking about bigger things. And I think the Russian roulette just works as a, a brilliant allegory for dehumanization. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I agree. Um, you know, I don't know. Have you, have you ever had arguments with people like that when like small details that are insignificant pulls them out of movies and you're butting your head up against a wall trying to convince them that they're they're being ridiculous over something that means nothing? I mean, I know I have, but I also know I've been the guy on the other end who, and I, I can't think of anything right on the moment, but where like a small detail ha- has pulled me out. I'm like, okay, I can't I can't get on board with this movie. I, I basically because of because of whatever that is, it's making me go everything else is unbelievable to me because of what that is. Right. Well, I try to, I, I, it's, it's a hard thing to, it can be a hard thing to get around, but I try and whenever I can, I try to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, well, maybe this was an artistic decision. Maybe it is metaphor. Maybe it is allegory. That's, that's really how I, I feel about deer hunter. And it, it drives me nuts when I'm trying to have those conversations with people and they let something so small, when they're trying to say something, when a film is trying to say something that is is more important and is is uh, greater than the sum of its parts, I guess. Uh, now, when you say greater than the sum of its parts, do you include? Now, I want to make sure I get this right. That it takes fifty-two minutes to get to the hunting. I will concede. I do think there is a a shorter cut 
in there. Now, Michael Dealey was aiming for two and a half hours. I don't think that's enough to tackle this subject. I don't think it needs to be less than three hours, but I tell you what I would trade. I would trade some of the stuff at the wedding for more stuff in Vietnam because we just cut to Nam. They've been there for long enough to already start to get, you know, war mad, war hungry. You meet De Niro and he doesn't even recognize uh, Walken and John Savage. He, he just brushes past them. And they actually have to physically stop him. I would, I see if you're going to cut to them being in country for that long, I say you cut straight to them already being POWs. Thank you. I think that's no. the harder cut. Yes. Because I think that's the more intense cut. The way that it is cut currently in the movie and the fact that this one best editing, it's, it's a, it's a shame. It's awful. I think it's one of the worst. I can't, I don't know if it's the storytelling or the way they chose to chop it up, but it is one of the worst cuts I've ever seen in my life. I well, think- did you hear that that Michael Camino sabotaged the uh, screening of the shorter cut? Did you read that oh, or find that in your research? I, I heard him in the edit. The editor he basically got the editor fired, and and when they they the other guy won the Oscar, but he basically said later on, no, 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 I that guy was an idiot. I was the one yeah. who cut it. Well, when they were projecting the film for test audiences, they they tested them side by side. They tested the three-hour cut and Michael Dealey's two-and-a-half-hour cut. And he he kind of paid, or the, the rumor is, is that he paid the projectionist to sabotage the projection so that the film would stop and he'd have to, like, you know, like, re-thread the film and, like, interrupt it and therefore create this kind of bad feeling in the audience about it so that it would get more negative things said about it. I I do think there is a compromise to be made. I honestly I don't mind it. it. I I don't mind that it takes 52 minutes to get where it needs to get. I love that we spend so much time with these guys figuring out who they are, this place in the world. I love the stuff where they meet the Green Beret in the bar. I I really like that a lot. The fact that oh they're so gung ho about going to war and doing their civic and patriotic duty, and there's this guy that's just there drinking his sorrows away, going fuck it, not knowing what they're about to to come in contact with, and not realize just how far this man has had to go in order to come back. And it, well, and he obviously he's come back physically, but he's left something of himself there, which they will and all I- do. I absolutely agree with you. I, I, there are parts of the storytelling that are great, and you know, I, I this is only the second time I'd seen this movie, um, and there's stuff early on where I, I couldn't quite put together. It's before like the actual wedding. It's kind of earlier in the day. And I'm trying to figure out. It's like is Christopher Walken and Meryl Streep are they are they in a are they in a, a relationship? Because it was the way De Niro's looking at her and the way that she's kind of looking at him. I couldn't tell. And then of course you find out that they they are. And right. there, there was like a lot of. There's a lot of great looking at people, like people looking at other people in this opening. I, I, I think there is great storytelling being done. The problem is, is there's so much stuff that is unnecessary to help that to to the storytelling. We get we get more than we need. And the entire time I'm watching this, because I, I my mind is drifting at times because I am I'm trying to stay focused, but it's not. As I'm thinking about the opening of The Godfather. I'm thinking of that wedding, which isn't nearly as long and yet gives just as much information as this. And it's funny you make that the that Siskel made that kind of comparison to The Godfather because 
I think a wedding is a great way to open a movie because you kind of get these cast of characters. You can sort of show here, here's the team, here are your players and here, here's who they're going to be. And well, what's also great about a wedding is you get to see how people wear different masks in public and what are they hiding and what are they changing about themselves to, to be an acceptable member of society. I don't know. Maybe that's too deep, but you get to see how we, I guess we, we lie to ourselves and change different aspects of our personality when we're in public. Maybe I just, I, I, it's, it's tough, man. It's a tough 52 minutes to get through because I think, I think we get a lot of information we could we could easily get it. I think we could easily have gotten that. You cut it in half, if not more. You could have cut that wedding scene I, down. I, see, I think that's too much. I, there is a lot in there I really really like. I and I'm I'm I am conflicted. I'm not going to say that you're wrong, but I also I also don't mind it in its current form. Like I'm sure there is stuff that you can lose, but I also I'm I'm happy to sit through that 52 minutes. I'm happy to get to know these people. There are so many little details that people may consider throwaways that just really define these people. Like uh, John Cazale, when he steps on her wedding train as they do the the loop through the people, or when Cazale also crosses himself and De Niro goes, looks at him like, what what are you doing? Why, why are you putting on the charade kind of thing? This isn't you. There, there's so much, like you said, in all the looks, there's some great subtext and all the ways that people look at each other in this film and and what isn't being said is far more important than what is being said they also make allusions to the fact that nick the uh the christopher walken character is most likely the father of the baby the the woman that john savage is is marrying yeah that's that's fantastic now i thought i read something didn't didn't chimino confirm that he did confirm that okay okay which is interesting. I don't know how that, I don't know what that does for the story, if it does anything at all, or if it's just a, it is just a little detail that, you know, you. Well, get. it's it's a case of do you still care, do you still care about Walken's character knowing that perhaps you know he had an affair with this woman while you know the John Savage character was was seeing her. Yeah, I mean it it speaks to how these men, yes, they are friends, but how they're also out for themselves. I don't, I'm just spitballing there with that. So, so here's, okay. And I know we really haven't talked about the plot. Um, and I don't know that there's, I think we've touched on it though. It's these group of friends who are all basically still workers. They're all very much blue collar guys. Uh, they're, and we're at this wedding. John Savage uh, is getting married and then not all of them are, are going over. It's just John Savage, Chris Walken and Robert De Niro who go over That's right. to Nam. And so after the wedding, they go on this little hunting trip and it's, Oh, the scene with the boots that all the stuff between, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, no, to no. while we're at that scene, the, all the stuff between De Niro and Kazali, that is some of the best stuff in the movie. There's a scene with the, lend me your spare pair of boots. No, every time we come up here, you forget something, you forget this, you forget that, you forget your boots. And I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to carry you. And this is, this is, this is where I'm struggling this is where I struggle with this movie because I, 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 on the whole, I don't enjoy the wedding scene. It's, it's too long and I'm, I'm just wanting to get to the next thing because I feel like the information we're getting, it, it, it takes too long to get. And then we get to, um, I guess, I don't know if I call the bar after the wedding, like the same scene or not, but basically once they're on the road, 
I, I, I love that stuff. I think that's great. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then we get to this. Well, and that's, that's up here as well. That's up on uh, yeah, Mount but, Baker. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then we get this hard cut and I, the storytelling and the editing is so off here. We get that they're, they're in Nam, they're at war. You're right. And, and De Niro's so in it. He doesn't recognize Chris Walken and John Savage right away. And then all of a sudden now they're POWs and it doesn't make any literal sense. And I agree. I think you just have to show them as POWs. Cause so now, well, well and that also works because they are so gung ho. They're so, they're almost elated about going to war. Yes. They're excited about it. And so if you have that hard cut to them already being POWs, you have that, well, this is the reality of it. Not everybody makes it through. Not everybody doesn't die or get captured. And that's that's more that's more what I wanted. So then, it's it, the movie to me is so back and forth because I, I I'm stuck in that weird hard cut. And then for the fir- in the first part, while they are POWs, I don't care. And then they they get pulled up and they're forced to do the Russian roulette. And then and then I and then I'm back in. And then basically from I guess the hard cut to them or once they're POWs on. I, I am in I, I I am invested in these in these guys and their story and I it's harrowing and it's it's remarkable and what happens to everybody you know Chris Walken being staying behind and getting wrapped up in the world of Russian roulette De Niro going back but then kind of hiding out not wanting to go to the welcome home party because he doesn't doesn't really want to be back he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't know how to adjust and then John Savage um you know spoiler if you haven't seen this movie that's been out for you know what. 40, 40 years. years. Um, but, uh, he, you know, he loses his legs and he's got a whole other thing that he's dealing with. I'm, I'm there. I'm with it. I, I, I find everybody compelling and, and believable, but it's, it's the getting there. I feel like I've slogged through so much and I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, my, my, a lot of, and a lot of my bias, I will acknowledge comes from, this is the De Niro I miss. There's a lot of people that that probably don't know De Niro for the the hardcore method actor that he was up until I would say I think that the turning point is probably Meet the Parents. I for me I consider Meet the Parents to be the beginning of the end of good De Niro. Uh you know back in these days he was so method we talked about De Niro driving Terry Gilliam crazy on the set of of Brazil. Brazil, even though he was there just for a couple weeks. I mean, he insisted on having all this stuff that would be legit if this character was in fact real. And the same with the deer hunter, you know, learning how to hunt, learning how to work in a steel mill. This is, as I said, this is the, I, I miss this De Niro. And so I kind of, I cling to it. I cling to everything between mean streets and heat as being like his, like, this is this is a, a master class. You, know, you take all these films that he made in that time period, or most of them anyway, and go, this is how every actor should aspire to be. This is the level that you should all try and attain 100% of the time. And so that's that's maybe where a little bit of my bias is, because, I mean, I'll take every bit of, of you know young De Niro that I can get. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, he is so good in the scene where he forces the Russian roulette on Kazali, again, coming back to Kazal. The where they're they're up there in the mountains before he decides to go back to Vietnam to try and rescue Nikki, uh, and you know Kazali, you assume they're all drunk up there and he's talking shit and he's waving his little you know 
38 snub nose, whatever the hell it is. He's waving it around in people's faces, and De Niro snatches it off him, and he does actually put a real bullet in there. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> well, Kazali checked it every time. Still, is 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 the story, but they both agreed that yeah, no, we need this level of realism. Yeah, I mean this this level of realism just doesn't exist in film anymore. Yeah, yeah, it, I would. It, I I think it's it does, but it's it's much much harder to find. Yeah, and and I'm certainly not advocating anybody put real bullets in real guns on sets sure. of films. <laughs> yeah, I mean we all saw what happened to to poor Brandon Lee there. Yeah. That's true. Um, I I forget how good Christopher Walken is in this movie. Oh, he's stunning. When he is at the uh, the army hospital, and well, that's the scene that got him the Academy Award. It, There's it, no doubt about that. And it's 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 funny because I I feel like it it is that Oscar Beatty scene, but it's also. I I hate when it's a cliche and it's true, but like the, it it. it it was such a good moment. Like I've, for I can feel like Christopher Walken has only ever played very confident guys or villains or, or you know, like I've, I don't know if he's ever really gone back to playing this vulnerable of a character. I mean, there are parts of that in Catch Me If You Can, but nothing anywhere close oh, I'm, to where I'm, he hits. I'm him. glad you brought that up because that's would have been the the similarity that I would have made as well as Catch Me If You Can. But he's just. Yeah. I, I, there's a little bit of it as well in Seven Psychopaths. I don't know if you've seen that film or not. That oh was, yeah. Uh, yeah, McDonough's follow up to In Bruges. There's there's a little bit of it here and there, but it's it's usually undercut by that black comedy real quick. So <laughs> oh yeah, well as as you get in McDonald movies, yeah, totally, totally. Um, but yeah, I and I, I do I need the realism of this stuff. You know the 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 spitting the the slapping though that they they had all the the actors played in the, in the Viet Cong actually slapping. De Niro and and Christopher Walken and and then Christopher Walken actually spitting at De Niro, which De Niro didn't know he was gonna do. Um, Chimino basically goaded him into doing it, and uh, I think Chimino was later cited that that that's that was that was one of the bravest things I've ever seen was somebody spitting at De Niro. Yeah, the the hell with that. You couldn't pay me enough to do that, man. I mean, and it. I always I kind of. There are moments like I mean I'm a stage actor, you know, primarily, but I I hate those moments in in plays or in film where you didn't take the extra effort to you know it's gross, but like if the, if the play calls to be spit on or to spit on somebody, then then do it, just do it. You're doing a disservice to your fellow actor by faking it. It's the same with you know like not putting liquid into cups when you know when you're taking a drink of something you can tell it's it's the easiest thing in the world even if you're supposed to be drinking something that like coffee just put water in the cup you, you got to have something in there that's a small thing and the one thing i will say about this movie is that it is even though i kind of hate hearing about the the bullet in the gun you appreciate the realism of it you appreciate them out there you know in the water getting slapped by the other actors Oh you, god, that in the the river sequence, man, that is probably one of the most reckless things that's ever been committed to film. Yeah, yeah. As far as the the helicopter being that close, yeah, you can see them. They they use the take where they're trying to tell the pilot, "Look, you're caught on on the bridge here, and you're gonna kill us if you take off." Yep. So, yep. I mean, it's it's pretty. You you can call it reckless and unnecessary filmmaking, but you know there are there are measures of control there. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. 
um, and it's I, and it's and it's necessary to get that level of like I said this this type of filmmaking it just doesn't exist anymore. I think it was a great happy accident where uh, John Savage was in the uh, the the little underwater prison thing, the little water underwater. Oh, with the rats, and he's yeah. he, and Robert De Niro, his character is named Michael in the movie, but John Savage is yelling, "Michael, there are rats!" And he's actually yeah. yelling at my, Michael Cimino to be like, "Look, you need to get me the actor out of here because I could feel these rats." I love it, and again, I love that he kept that happy accident that De Niro's name is Michael, and that just happened to work out really well. But yeah, I think that's a fun little thing that worked for the movie. Well, I'm glad to I'm glad to see you're kind of enjoying the discussion about this. Is it kind of changing your opinion of it at all? Am I kind of swaying you around to well, enjoying it, this film a little bit more? I, I, no, and I you're the how do I phrase this? I, it's not not that I'm trying to or anything like that. But no, I no, mean, but we, it's it's tough because, like I said, I do and I I thoroughly enjoy the second half of this movie. I mean, there's so much to admire, but it, it just. It's it's tough. It's tough to get through that. I, I, won't, yeah, I won't lie. I think the wedding scene is not great. I think it could have been great, but it it just it's just way too long. Well, it's it's the problem is is it's surrounded by so many great things. It's surrounded by uh, John Savage's mother, you know, talking to the priest and being upset with that situation. And then you also we haven't talked about Meryl Streep at all. The scene with her and her her drunk father. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. That see, that's one of the no, things that you, felt. Would you would you take that out? It felt unnecessary to me. We never come back to it. We never come back to it. Well, she she st- she does ask them while you're gone. Can I stay at your place? Y- yes, yes, we do get that. But I mean, there's no resolution. To, yes, yeah, it's it's like Meryl Streep's dad sucks. Can I stay here? Which it's not. I mean, and I guess she could have already theoretically have been living there if she's if she's dating. Chris Walken, I get that that's part of the yeah. storytelling is that she's she does live at home with her dad. Maybe she's a little more um, traditional, you know. Well, I think I think the thing that speaks to Meryl Streep's power as an actress, and of course we should mention that this was her first Academy Award nomination out yep. of 21. Yeah, she's yeah. won three of them, but 21 nominations total at the Academy Awards, and I think it's even more at the Globes. Oh, God, probably. Um a lot of her performance apparently was improvised. Her character was not fleshed out at all in the script. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I read that too. Which, again, as I said, speaks to her power because she is electrifying when she's on screen, and her chemistry with De Niro is just palpable. Well, and that's something I wanted to kind of bring up too: is not just De Niro and, and Streep and and how good they are, but the way that they improv together. And there's this. I think this is horrible misconception about improv especially over the last 20 years or so with the sort of the rise of, you know, improv comedy and, and um, stuff like whose line is in any way where we hear the, you word... can, you can just say all those Judd Apatow films, man. It's okay. Well, 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 I mean, I think, I think the sort of, it was the show, but I do think we, we do get more of that now is, is it's improv equals comedy. Like that's, that's how we think of it. And tra- and traditionally trained theater actors go through, sometimes they go through a training called Meisner, which is, it's kind of like improv, but it's 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 just it's really about truly responding to what's in front of you. It's not about being inventive and witty. It's just about being real with somebody else. And you you see the theater background in De Niro and Streep. There's no there's no need to be witty. There's no need to try to think of the really cool thing to say. It's all about being real with somebody 
in a scene and you know watching those two do it at they're 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 young you know but they're but they're not you know they're probably what in their late 20s or, or early 30s at that time well the, this was a, another argument is they're talking about that all the actors were far too old to have been drafted to go like another one of those trifling details like why why does that matter let's well, just sh- go on the ride sure and i and that doesn't bug me but i just i mean as as the actors de niro and streep you know and how what their actual ages are they're at a great point where They've had this training, they have the background to it, and then they get a chance to do it in a major motion picture. It's not just still like a like a training exercise. They can actually apply it to this movie. And, you know, there's a there's a trust there that a director has to have to to know that, you know, maybe the character isn't that fleshed out, but I trust my actors to help fill in the story. Which that's, which that's I, yeah. probably one of Camino's better strengths. Yeah. Maybe maybe what he needed was a little more um a little more encouragement to cut where necessary. Sure. I mean I haven't seen Heaven's Gate, but clearly I think what killed that movie was its length, you have to imagine. Yeah. And it's it's very difficult in this day and age to get somebody to commit to a film even of, of Deer Hunter's length, let alone an extra hour. I think what disproved that though, uh had this film come out Maybe at the same time, it dances with wolves. Maybe that would have have helped it, uh, because dances with wolves is the the film that really helped disprove that. I mean, the theatrical cut is three hours long, and then when they released Costner's four hour cut, that was a huge hit on home video as well. Yeah, I have. I don't think I've seen his director's cut, but I think I have it. It's it's too goddamn long. Probably. Um, but it was, uh, the reason I've held off on buying Dances with Wolves is I don't think there's ever been addition put out that includes both cuts and that's frustrating to me is i want to be able to to pick and choose yeah which i i've talked about in a previous episode as well i know i know i totally agree i actually i was looking at my movies yesterday and um i, I had this thought with independence day i i only have it on dvd but the it, it's I don't, there's it's it was like there's like seven additional minutes and it's a movie i've seen so many times that when when something that wasn't in the original cut comes up i'm like this is weird why is this in the movie but anyways i agree i think you should have to put both editions on you should have to if there's a if there's a different cut yeah well Uh, and i and i again i'm 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 going with you on the ride that says the wedding sequences are too long even though i i admit that i don't mind them but i do think there was again like brazil i feel like there was a compromise that could have been reached that wasn't I don't think two and a half hours, as I said earlier, is enough to cover everything that this film needs to cover. But yeah, maybe there is something in the two hour and 40, two hour and 45 minute mark that could have been a fine compromise. And I, I agree. It's hard to know exactly, you know, how to, I mean, here's what I'll say. There is definitely a way to trim that wedding scene down. Now, how and what you would do, that's not, that's not our jobs as viewers, you know, but I think Chimino should have shown a little more restraint. And edit well, it. you can you can lose three minutes. I think we've agreed just by cutting the first scenes of them in country and just cut to them straight as POWs. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Uh, so there's one there's one more thing. It just uh, it's not that's not about the movie specifically that I want to bring up, or it's hmm, it's not about the the movie specifically, but I do want to bring it up. And it's it's interesting because a lot of what this movie gets the reason I think it, it, it definitely rose above some other films that year was because it was a, one of the first major films to tackle um, the Vietnam War. And then it just so happened that Coming Home came out in the same year. Have you seen Coming Home? 
I have not. See, I haven't either. And it's interesting. In any other wait, is uh, is Jane Fonda in that film? Yes, it's Jane Fonda. Then, that, and... then that's why I haven't seen it. Oh, whatever, Jesus. Anyways, um, it's just it's interesting because I, I feel like in any other year, one like coming home could have won Best Picture that year. In, in another in another world where Deer Hunter comes out the year before or the year after, because I think I think what elevated those movies was that they were about Vietnam, and. And granted, you know, coming home won Best Actor and Best Actress that year. And uh, Deer Hunter won Director and Picture and Supporting Actor. So clearly these movies had something going for them. And Coming Home was nominated for Best Picture and Best Director. So so is it is it good? Do you agree with Deer Hunter winning over Coming Home? Do you agree with Voight winning over De Niro? I haven't seen it. Oh, you said you haven't seen it. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it. No, no, I, that's I okay. you said you had But it just it brings up it's just really interesting. I think it was a a really interesting time. It's funny because in a totally different way, it reminds me of the the five movies up for Best Picture in '98. Um, of of the five movies up, they were they were about one of two times. It was either World War II because you had Saving Private Ryan, Thin Red Line, and Life Is Beautiful, or it was the Elizabethan period where you had Elizabeth and Shakespeare in Love. And it's one of those like, well, what was the mindset at the time that these were the movies that sort of were nominated for Best Picture? Because they had a very similar um, time period, at the very least, a very similar time that these films were set. And so I just thought it was, you know, I know it's 78 and Vietnam wasn't too, um, it was still very, very relevant. And I to, to really depict it for the first time, I think I think helped elevate both those films. It's, it's a theory, but I don't know. No, I no, I think you're on the right track there. Do you have any uh, any thoughts on a on a favorite shot or a favorite scene? I know we've already talked about. No, we haven't talked about unsung heroes. We haven't done either of our. Oh no, we have not. Our usual staples. So, so, so who's your unsung hero? Well, I think I don't know that he's unsung, but it's it's John Cazale. Sure. Ah. Uh... For you. I do also love the the French guy. The the connection there. Yeah. In in Vietnam, the one that kind of ropes Walken into it. And yeah, De Niro has the 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 kind of uh, face off with you know he's the guy that he has to use in order to get to Walken. Yeah. Um, God, it's funny. I I want to say it's Kazali, but I I might give it. I think I might give it to John Savage. Just because I I think he's. He's given it. He can be seen almost as there are times when they're in Nam that he could be seen as kind of whiny. It just in terms of the other, because like, he's with De Niro and and Walken, who are a little more trying to keep their shit together. I just I think he has a hard job because he has to be the one playing the, almost the submissive a lot of the times, and I think his stuff with when we realize that he 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 has both of his legs lost, and I I think he does a lot of great silent acting. Um, I just like I just like what he does. I mean, it, it's hard because he's he's clearly overshadowed by by Streep and De Niro and Walken and Kazali. But I, in terms of you know doing the most with what you have, I think he does. A, I think he does a really good job. I would also call out uh, George, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right, but George Dunza. Dunza? Yeah, he's got. I don't know. I I, I I think I don't think you hit the first D. So I think it's more like Zunza. Zunza. That would be okay, my guess, perfect. but I don't know. That, that's that sounds right. Anyway, I. I really like what he does in the film. He's 
I'm not going to say that he's a scene stealer, but he certainly helps to elevate the scenes that he's in. The end, I mean, we haven't really talked about the end of the film and what the end of the film means, but when he goes back into the kitchen to, to make the breakfast and the eggs and all of that, and he starts crying, I mean, he didn't go to Nam with any of these guys, but they are family to him. Oh, yeah. You know, he's, he's probably known, he's, to me, he's a little older than them. He owns the bar. He's probably watched these guys grow up you know, watch them become the men that they are and to see them go off and to now be, you know, obviously one of them's not there. One of them is completely physically and mentally changed. And the other one, you know, the De Niro character, I mean, he's he's off now on his own plane of existence as well. And to see just how much these, these men in his life have changed, there's a lot in that scene that only lasts for, you know, 10, 15 seconds. Yeah, I agree. Um, in terms of favorite scenes, I, I honestly hate to be so, so cliche, but it is, it's, it's De Niro walking back into that back room where the Russian roulette scene is going on and, and everything from him spotting walking to the unfortunate moment of, of walking, walking, um, pulling the trigger and the bullet going through his, his head. Um, it's, it's that it's, it's just so real. It's just, it just, Everything about it feels so palpable and tense and utterly unfortunate. And, you know, and there's moments, you know, it doesn't help that there's there's a few moments where you think you think Walken recognizes him and you think, yeah, this is going to he's going to leave. He's going to leave with De Niro and it's going to be OK. And then lo and behold, oh, that's I don't know what happens. I don't think it's cliche at all to say that that's that's a really good choice. My favorite is him not killing the deer and making that decision to go back and get walking it's it's the look on his face knowing that he has no choice he has to do this that's a, it's, yeah. like i said it's a, it's a master class in acting from de niro it's it's a de niro that we are sorely missing i honestly i'm so excited for the irishman when that hits netflix i'm hoping that we're gonna get a little bit of that old de niro back being that he's working with scorsese and pesci again and the fact that we have we're gonna have another movie that features pacino and de niro together now what do you sorry i'm just curious what do you think of de niro's two performances in the uh the david o russell films i think there's I think there's smatterings of that greatness in there. I think it's unfortunate that they're in David O. Russell films because I think he's not as talented as a lot of people like to give him credit for. In the pre- in the previous episode where I was talking about my lack of respect for James Cameron, I feel the same way about David O. Russell, especially after all that very you know high profile stuff that happened on the set of I Heart Huckabees. Yeah, like yeah. I I have no respect for an, a, a director that treats his actors like that. There's absolutely no reason for it. Um, I I think his performance in Silver Linings is definitely better than his performance in American Hustle, but that's just Agreed. because everything about Silver Linings is better than American Hustle. American Hustle is, is just a poor man's Goodfellas, and that unfortunately saying that is an insult to Goodfellas. <laughs> American Hustle. The only good thing about American Hustle is Christian Bale. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And and I mean I mean uh, Amy Adams, she's not bad in it either. She's okay. But Brad, what is Bradley Cooper doing in that film? Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. But he's it, in a different he's in a different film than the rest of them. But I do. I I actually I really like De Niro in Silver Linings Playbook. I I, I buy that kind of OCD gambling competitiveness yeah. in him. I I totally the, the there, there's a there's a great melancholy in that character. 
I just I no, want to so, yeah I want to bring that up because I think I think I think for like basically 2000 to now I, I I think Silver Linings is like the one the one De Niro performance where you're like okay there's some it's still in there it's still in there yeah it's just he needs to either one challenge himself or two put himself in a room with the people that can help get that back out of him long gone are the days where we will ever see a taxi driver out of him again that, yeah. Yeah, he's getting old too. I mean, yeah, I mean, we were lucky with actors like Jack Nicholson and Gene Hackman before they retired. They at least gave us something. You know, in Gene Hackman's case, it was Royal Tenenbaum, and in in uh, Nicholson's case, it was Departed. At least we got some of those smatterings of greatness that they once held in their heyday. And I'm getting to the point where if it's not going to happen with the Irishman, it's not going to happen at all with De Niro. Yeah, yeah. So, Ian. Does this movie deserve to be in the book? Do you want to address the ending before I answer that? Oh, question? I'm so sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I I want to know what your thoughts are. Because I'm I'm not American, so any answer that I give about the ending is going to be a sort of biased foreigner perspective. I I'm not a huge fan of the kind of singing at the end. I I mean, it it feels a little tacked on. Um, I, I more, I more appreciate the look between De Niro and Streep. Like, you know, maybe we can get past this. Like maybe not, not everything will be like great, but that we can work to strive and, and, and create some kind of an existence that still has meaning. I don't know how I feel about them. Is it, uh, is it, a ma- I, well, I feel like I, I understand where you're coming from with that tactile nature, because that look between them could make a very natural fade to black or cut to black and I and honestly I would be okay with that but I do like the singing I like the death of patriotism in films uh, I'm gonna get really deep here the death the death of patriotism in films is something I greatly appreciate uh, I don't recall if JFK is in the book or not I know it's in a previous version it I is. don't know if it's in this it is. it is in this current one I'm very excited to do that uh because I love what that film says about disenfranchisement and disenfranchisement, particularly when it comes to your nation and your feelings about your patriotism. So that's what I love about the ending of the deer hunter, them singing that, that very melancholy singing of, um, it's not the national anthem. What is, what is it? They sing? Is it Help a, me out here. Is it America the beautiful America? The beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I appreciate the, the look between Streep and De Niro more than I appreciate the. Okay, well, and that's that's fair. I, I get I get your sentiment that it feels tacked on, but I, I, I like it myself personally. I'm, I'm happy that it's there. Because to me, it reinforces the idea that I brought up earlier that Vietnam is arbitrary, that this is about any war and any men. I agree. I, 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 I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. Yeah, and I, I think uh, the closest we've gotten to those kinds of themes, I was thinking a lot about The Hurt Locker when I was watching this film and what Jeremy Renner does with his character in that. There's a scene in The Hurt Locker I love very much at the end where he's gone back and he's in the grocery store and his wife asks him to just grab a box of cereal and he's in that aisle, that massively long, almost Kubrickian long aisle of cereal 
and just go, I can't handle this. He doesn't obviously say anything, but that's, he's like this day to day bullshit. I just, I can't handle it. But anyway, it's a, it's a yes from me. It's, it's a 100% yes from me. But the question is, is, is also, do you feel not just your own personal feelings should it be in the book? Do you think, would you recommend this film to people? Do you think that other people should see this film? Is it something that they should see before they die? I guess. Um, well, you know what? I, that's a great, thank you for phrasing it that way because the book is called movies. You must see, must see before you die. Oh, I'm I'm so guilty of this in this podcast is is trying to remove myself. I think I I conceded on ET, but and I think that's been the breaking point for me. But I, I think I would recommend many other films about Vietnam before I recommended this. And even though I do think that the second two thirds of this movie are really really good, it's hard to slog through. Um, the first hour. The first hour. So here's I guess here's my answer. This might be a cop out. Um. Would I recommend it? No, I wouldn't. Do I think it should be in the book? Yeah, because I I, I do think the second two thirds outweigh the the wedding, and I do think and I think it outweighs the awful cut, kind of right there as we transition into Nam. Um, but I I wouldn't. I don't think I would recommend this movie, which is weird. So I don't know if that that's conflicting thoughts, but that's kind of where yeah I you've am. you've got you've got your feet on on either side of the line there. I do. Is there something that you would put in instead? I mean, because obviously Apocalypse Now is already in there. Platoon, Platoon is, is already in there. So is Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. Um. That's a great question. Uh, I I don't I don't know if Coming Home is in, and I haven't seen it. I think that would be comparable. I'd be curious to know how I feel about that. Yeah. Uh, and, and so my our discussion about it has made me more curious about it. I think, despite the fact that Jane Fonda's in it. God. Um, so yeah, I don't know that I have a direct replacement. Um, I think in terms of trying to keep it specifically to movies about Vietnam, I, those big ones are already in there. Um, do you, do you think that's maybe an oversaturation? No, I don't. I don't. I think I, cause I do think, I think those movies are all, they're all unique in their own way. They all tell it, I think a different story about it. And I think they're all worthy of being in the book. Now Hurt Locker, that's in there. Yes. I think so. But I, I, I couldn't tell you for sure off the top of my head. If if it's not, how do you feel about Hurt Locker going in instead? Oh, for, definitely. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so anyway, but those, so th- those are our thoughts about uh, Deer Hunter, uh, Best Picture winner for 1978. We are now going to transition into the second part of this uh, podcast. And uh, we're not going to go through all of the awards. We're just going to focus on Best Picture, correct? Correct. And we are going to rank the eight movies nominated for Best Picture this year for the Academy Awards. We're going to start from eight and work to our favorites. Now, I should preface this. I unfortunately did not get the opportunity to see Green Book prior to this recording. I will probably see it before the awards happen. I think it's going digital on the 19th. So I'll probably just pick it up because as I said last week with A Star is Born, I mean, it's the same price to buy it as it would be to go see it. So why not? Yeah. And we'll, and then maybe we'll, we'll, we'll put those new, like a, a more official rankings up on Facebook and on Twitter just so you can see where they are. Okay, so uh, so actually, I could, let me go first then with eight because we right because okay. I've got one that's unranked. Yes, so uh, my number eight, and and I'll say this now, uh, my top four and my bottom four 
um, there's a split right there because I think that my one through four are really good and should be nominated. And I think my five through eight are hard sells and I pass on most of them. So anyways, my number eight is Vice. Wow. I was not expecting that. Here's the thing. Uh, Vice is not about anything. It's a hodgepodge of weird images trying to connect Bush to Trump. And it's the one thing that carries Vice is Christian Bale's performance. Uh, I don't think Amy Adams is that good. I think I think Sam Rockwell getting nominated uh, as George Bush is a travesty. He doesn't do anything. It's a mediocre impression at best. I are I, wait no. I am no. not a big Stop. fan. Fine. That is hands down the greatest George W. Bush I have ever seen. Okay, that's your opinion. He, he's okay. Um, he's okay. Who is better? Who's but I would I, I would take Will Ferrell over oh, over see, Sam Rockwell. Will Ferrell's Will Ferrell's is caricature. Okay, but I uh, love what Sam Rockwell did. His but Bush Sam Rockwell is has so no emotion. He has no he doesn't do anything. He's he, it's just look at me play this real person. Oh, that breaks my that breaks my heart. I buddy. think Adam McKay should stick to Step Brothers and Anchorman because I was not a big fan of The Big Short. I'm even less of a fan of Vice, and I think it's I think it's. I think it's just trying to capitalize on look at this monster. We'll try to humanize him. I di- I didn't like it. I I straight up did not enjoy this movie. Oh, see, I didn't I didn't feel like they were trying to humanize Cheney at all. The parts where I weren't laugh, excuse me, the parts where I wasn't laughing, I was terrified. Well, you can talk about it more when you get to it on your list. Yeah, I I will. <laughs> so, what is your seven? My seven is uh, Black Panther. Okay, I'm okay with where that is. It's just we'll talk. You know, I'm gonna, well, let me tell you. That's that's my six. So we're both in the same realm. Okay, I I appreciate what it did as far as on a social scale. Like, but it's at the end of the day, it's just another comic book movie. Yeah, I mean, I would say I've heard this a lot this year, and I agree with it. It, it wasn't even the best Marvel film this year. Oh, I will say it was better than Ant Man because I did just watch Ant Man and the Wasp, and that was that was a tough sell for me. Well, see, and I I enjoyed I enjoyed that, and I think I think Marvel makes makes two kinds of films now. They make the films that actually further that, that kind of further the where they are now with Avengers, like and where and where Endgame is going to be, um, and then they make like Thor Ragnarok, and they make Ant Man and the Wasp. Right? They make it's the characters, but it's not furthering. I, I would say the overall MCU universe. You know? Do you know what I mean? Um, but and yeah, that's the thing. It's like Black Panther was good. I, I've never been underwhelmed with any of the Marvel films. I think they're they're always going to be entertaining. I think there's always going to be some slick badass fight scenes and stuff, and they're compelling. They're enjoyable. Um, I I agree. I think I think Black Panther did more as a social statement than anything else, and I think it's important that it was nominated for Best Picture. I think it finally did what The Dark Knight couldn't do, and I think it, it's going to make. I think it's going to help with what could be nominated. But overall, I think it's a mediocre action film. No, it. It's so average. I mean, there are sequences in that film that are lifted wholesale from, you know, the Daniel Craig Bond films. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's just one man's opinion. I'm probably wrong. That's okay. It's gonna stay. It's gonna stay at number seven until Green Book comes out. At which point, I assume it will fall to number eight. Yeah, there's a good chance of that. Um, I think you are not gonna like what I say as my number seven. It's Bohemian Rhapsody. It absolutely is Bohemian Rhapsody. It's okay because that's my number six. Oh, look at that. Okay, so here's my thing. 
again, and I, I had very, very similar thoughts to this movie that I did to Vice, which is you you gotta tell me, you gotta give me something I didn't already know. Because when I got to the end of that movie, I thought one thing. I really like Queen songs, and that's about all I got from it. That legit is all I got from it. And I and I don't understand. And I know way back when on our podcast you talked about how much you liked Rami Malek and how much you hope he wins. I I don't. I get I, it. I still I still feel that way. I still would love to see him walk away with Best Picture because he fully becomes Freddy. I I I just I just don't. Oh man, I just didn't care. I didn't care. I cared more than there, I did about Vice, but only a little bit. Probably because uh, I there, like Queen. <laughs> there, there is an unfortunate thing that happened in the production of that film. Oh, I, I mean, obviously, yes. there's, there's, yeah. there's a lot of the this this stuff with Brian Singer. Unfortunately, yes, he still has to be credited as the director because of how much work he did on, according to current DGA guidelines and things like that. Even though Dexter Fletcher finished the film, but I mean, as I talked about in a previous podcast, there's just, there's another film out there that hasn't been made, which focuses much more on Freddie's private life. And hopefully one day that film will be made where we actually get to see him outside of Queen, because this isn't a Freddie biopic. It's a Queen biopic. And that's the movie I would have, I would have wanted to see more. You're right. So would I. Yeah. So would I. That's, that's the film that I hope gets made one day. And it's such a shame that Sasha Baron Cohen will be far too old to play that role (laughs) at that point, because his Freddie would be like nothing else. Yeah, so so, sorry. Did you? I didn't want to cut you off. Do you have more? Oh no, just the, my my sort of final thought on Bohemian Rhapsody is just I, the only thing bigger than his music is Brian May's ego. That's that's such a shame that they they are only ever gonna see him in the context of the band, and they'll as long as they're involved in the making of anything to do with his life, it'll always be from the perspective of the band. And that's what the thing that I, I pushed people when to go, I, I, I wanted people to see it, but I also wanted them to keep in mind, you're not seeing a Freddie biopic and also bear in mind that he was a bisexual man. That's the only, one of the only real things that I appreciated about it is they didn't just explore him as a gay pop icon is that they explored that relationship with Mary Austin, the fact that they were engaged. The scene that breaks my heart is, because this this really happened at Queen concerts, they love of my life, it turned into a duet between him and the crowd. And so when he says, look at this, they're singing to you. That it chokes me up. That scene is the reason I think Remy should get his Oscar. And the fact, I don't know if you've seen any archival footage of Freddie. Yeah, he, ha- really does be- he really does become him. I, 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 it's an amazing transitionary sort of performance. I, I, I want us to focus on, on, on the best picture noms, but there's a whole tangent about actors winning for playing real people that bugs me yeah. because a lot, it's like, I get it, but at some point there's got to be depth. There's We've got to see a range of emotions. We've got to see all this stuff. And I, I just wasn't as compelled by it, but can I, while we're on this very, very quick tangent, can I ask your pick for, for actor? Who do I think will win or who do I think should win? I, I think, I don't know, I, I still haven't decided between Christian Bale and Rami Malek winning. I think the best performance uh, is um, Bradley Hooper for those nominated. Wow, that I was not expecting that, but yeah. So so your, that was your six, and my six was Black Panther, so what's your, what is your five? Uh, my five is Roma. Ah, same here. Yeah. Same here. 
yeah uh it, it's good i mean you brought it up you had that as one of your recommends in a, an episode a few weeks back i mean it's it's good i mean it's a really well-made film it's a great as you put it it's a great little slice of life uh piece of filmmaking um i do think it's it's odd that we're in a year where we can nominate up to 10 films and this year they've only chosen eight and one of them is both in foreign and best picture it seems like there's a lot of stuff they got left out that shouldn't have been. I mean, people talk about uh, if Beale Street could talk. I know that is one that people are, are very much up in arms about. Like, what's... I don't understand the logic of... You open it up to 10, yet we still haven't had a year since they've done that where they've picked 10. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it either. I, it's, all, it's all on that preferential ballot stuff, but it whatever. So yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that, that about Roma is that I it's not about... I wish it was about more and i think it's Quran doesn't hasn't done anything like history i i watch roma and i see i see children of men i see gravity i don't see any any change in his directing style and i feel like we're just rewarding the same thing he's already done for me it's it's similar to inuritu winning back-to-back for birdman and revenant and while they're wildly different subject matters i still go i go i he's doing the same thing and it's not a bad thing. It's just, are we really going to reward this again? Yeah. Which is, and no, that, no, that, I, that, that's, I completely agree with that. Yeah. So it's it, not to say that it's a bad film because yeah. it's a, it's a good film. I would say that it's, it's almost a great film. And you know, what scene I was talking about. That, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Fabulous acting. It's a particular, oh my God, incredible, particularly tough scene. The only thing that pissed me off about that movie, and this is such a nitpicky thing. It's shot in black and white. Totally fine. Love black and white films. The end is that long shot that pans up to the sky, and in black and white, a cloudy sky like that is going to show up white. So then you're going to turn around and put white titles on top of that? Yeah. I couldn't read the end credits. Not that I sit there reading every single one of them, but I feel that that's kind of a disservice to all the people that worked on the film. Okay, so hey, that's cool. Our number five is for the same. So what is your number four? My number four is Vice. Yeah, uh, I, I, I've I, read similar sentiments to what you had about it and the fact that it's... Uh, the one thing that I read about it that I, I did understand and that I was okay with is the film is so self-referential and it is so self-aware that that is a disservice to itself. But there are... there There's so much about it, like I said, that one, when I wasn't laughing, I was terrified. And there's also just these random little cutaway scenes to where he says, well, the, the, the narrator is talking, Jesse Plemons is talking about well, how we can't make this a Shakespearean tragedy. And then it cuts to them doing a scene as a Shakespearean tragedy. I'm surprised that you didn't appreciate something See, like that I, more. I both, I enjoyed that moment and also didn't, I hated it. I, I thought it was funny as a bit. I thought it was kind of neat. But then I'm like, what, how does, what does this do with it? anything how is this i just was so confused by it though too the movie was erratic and sloppy and i just didn't i don't get the fascination with it because i know other and a lot of people love that movie and i just i don't i don't no that's a shame i i did i dig it a lot i'm happy that adam mckay is branching out and trying new things i did enjoy the big short i do think the big short i think both of them big short and vice are both too long but I think as far as a comedic director trying to find his feet in a more dramatic world, I think he's well on his way. Yeah. And I, I am excited to see what he does next. Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, I am. I'd, I'd be curious. 
and I'm sorry, I, I love Rockwell's W. I was fascinated by it. Absolutely. I, I felt like it wasn't caricature and it wasn't impersonation. It was him just trying to exhibit something in the man. Like when we were kids, W was, it was all in our faces, right? Yeah. I mean, we were all glued to the TV during the second, second Gulf War conflict and, and the whole mission accomplished debacle and things like that. But like my memories of W, I feel like Rockwell inhibited so much of that. Um, so my four is the favorite. Okay. And I, I definitely enjoyed this movie. Um, I, I wish I could rank it higher. I just, I, I like the other ones more. Um, I think it's got a great ensemble. It's got great direction. It's an interesting story. Production design is great. It is one of those, I think it's tied for the most nominations this year. And I think you all, it's all, it's, it's a period piece and the acting is great. And that doesn't surprise me that it's tied. I think it's got 10 nominations and it's, it's really good. It won't win. It's too no. it's too out there to win, but it's it's a fun, weird movie. Well, it's it's awesome that it got as many nominations as it did. I feel like maybe it, it's it's probably going to be this year's Dark Horse, and I think it has the potential to surprise us in ways that we didn't think it was going to. I hope it does. And I and I think we mentioned maybe on the last episode, Yorgos maybe being the heir to the the Kubrick throne. And it, it's so great to see him getting this kind of nomination. That's only, I think, it's only going to help to further his career. Oh, definitely. And help him keep making the weird shit that he makes. I get I get so excited now whenever I see, oh, there's a Yorgos movie coming out. I have to be there. So, um... I, so the favorite's my number three. Okay, great, great, yeah. And I, I did a lot of soul-searching about that because of what my number two is. So, hold on, hold on. So my number... So we're getting real close... But so my number three is I, I think it's your number one, but I don't know that. Uh, my number three is A Star Is Born. Um, and it's it's real good. It's it's really good. Um, it's so much better than it deserves to be. Uh, it's unfortunate that um, well not unfortunate. I, I feel like Mahershala is going to win, but I, I I think Sam Elliott gives one of those those great performances that's only minutes long and I think he's fantastic in it I think Cooper's I mean yeah it's it's a great ensemble it's a great I think this is a great ensemble movie too I think everybody's well I'm glad you brought up Sam Elliott it's his first nomination since he's he he started acting around 69 when he was in Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid uh and now here we go 50 years later we finally see the fruits of those labors I I would love to see Sam Elliott walk away with it though I do feel there's a scene where he's done a slight disservice I love where Bradley Cooper says to him you know you thought all those years I idolized dad it was you I feel like we should have just had a little bit more time with Sam Elliott to kind of process that oh I thought because he just he just backs out of the driveway and drives away like I just wanted just another beat just one more beat oh see I I can't I, I think that was perfect he he just he backs up and and the camera catches him looking back as you would do when you're reversing a car and it's just that fighting the emotions, but it's still oh god that was such a great oh no shot. no it, it's good I just I want it's he's so good in that moment I just I I'm greedy just give me a little bit more just a little bit more of that and I'm glad I see and I'm glad they didn't milk it I'm glad they I, I don't know I think it's I think it was I thought it was right I thought it was right well that's what I'm saying I don't need it to be prolonged I just just one more beat just I can't get enough of it. Um, so if you don't, if you don't mind, I want to say my number two, because it's the one, it's one that it's, it's green book. You haven't seen it, which, yeah, um, which I, I'm very excited to, uh, it's, you know, there was, uh, there was a lot of controversy about this movie too. Um, 
but the uh, the son of Viggo Mortensen's character, uh, he was the one who who basically wrote the screenplay and his past and and stuff came out about Peter, about Peter Farrelly too. And there's a whole lot of stuff that it was not about the movie itself, but involved with the movie. And I'm glad. Well, and Vigo. Wasn't there an interview recently where he put his foot in the mouth in his mouth? Yes, yeah, yeah he did. Um, but if you're just watching this movie for the movie, it's 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 a it's a it's a good movie. It's it's uh, the Vigo and Mahershala are fantastic in it, and I think it's got a great message. And I was kind of surprised to see Peter Farrelly direct something like this. I think he's I think it's 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 a good job. I'm not surprised he didn't get nominated. It's, it's nothing fancy, but for somebody who directed Dumb and Dumber, it's you know you you can really see a, a, a filmmaker in there. Um, and Vigo's Vigo is great. And uh, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's it's a yeah, it's a good movie. I, I, I so so just to recap, that was your number two. My number two is A Star Is Born. Oh snap! Yes. So we agree. Yes. Look at this. Yes. Black Klansman. Yeah. For two guys who have talked a fair amount of shit about Spike Lee. My God, this this is finally the fruits of all those labors. Ever since she got to have it, I feel like his entire film directing career has been leading up to this moment. What he said in Black's Klansman is so important, so vital. I, it's, yeah. It, I can't wait to see it again. It's yeah, it's very good. It's very good. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it's showing that being the son of a famous actor can lead to something good. Uh, you know, I, I thought John. Oh, David, Denzel's kid is so good in this. He he's so good. He's great. Um, uh, you know, Adam Driver is fantastic. There's a scene with Adam Driver where he's being grilled by one of the the KKK guys in his basement. Oh, is it the 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 scene where he's trying to hook him up to yes. the, the lie detector? Yeah. Oh man, and it's. I think this movie does a better job of what Vice was trying to do, which was tackle a very serious subject matter and sprinkle in the humor really well. Because there are parts of this movie that I laughed out loud. I love John David Washington baiting David Duke on the phone. It's just... Oh, it's so good. It's fantastic. But then the, there are, And who would have thought that you would get a performance like that out of Topher fucking Grace? Who was great. Yeah. Where the hell has this been? Yeah. I just... It... it, 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 it Unlike Minding the Gap, uh, which moved me in one way, this this it made me think. It got me excited. It was well made. the The direction was fantastic. I I just I man, from start to finish, I was in to this movie. No, it takes it takes all the stuff that is great about his because he's Spike Lee is one of those Steven Soderbergh types where he has a foot in both the independent filmmaking world and in the mainstream filmmaking. We're probably not so much as a foothold. As Soderbergh has, but he has made a few, you know, successful commercial films in the, in the studio system, and I feel like this really takes the best of both of those idea, you know, best of, of both of those those caps, you know. Yeah, yeah, awesome, dude. Okay, cool. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yes, definitely. Um, so yeah, that's. I mean, I it. I don't think it stands a great shot at winning, but I'm glad that we agree that it's the bet. It's the it's our best picture winner if we were to pick. It should absolutely win. I I don't know what's going to. It's I feel prob- like I. It's probably sorry, go gonna, ahead. it's probably going to be Roma. Yeah, you think they'll take? Well, it's already nominated for foreign. So you think they'll go Cold War for foreign and then no, Roma I th- for? I think Roma will win both. That would be. 
then why are we here? Such a massive, massive waste of time. Dude, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'd love to I'm, be, I'm totally love fine to be with Roma. Wrong. I'm totally fine with Roma winning foreign. But it's just, and sorry, it's just not the best picture of the year. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So anyways, those are our thoughts on the best picture nominees for this year. You've already heard our thoughts about the Deer Hunter. Uh, please let us know what you think about the Deer Hunter and, and how you think this year's Academy Awards are going to go. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at 1001 by one You can subscribe and like and listen to us on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play. Uh and uh, we were, I always love talking about the Oscars, so thank you for indulging in us in this, this little chat about the Academy Awards. And uh, Yeah, it was wanna... a good little epilogue, I think, to yeah, this, I agree. this episode. Um, so uh, we'll be, the next time we record, we'll be uh, live with each other, so uh, hopefully this was an experiment that we don't have to ever replay. Uh, but until next time, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week.